Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 91, Boniface VIII on the scene. E non posso più accucciarmi e così ritorno su. Lasci colli nelle valli, tra due salici piangenti. Io ritrovo la speranza di un amore che ormai fu. We are finally ready to make our way out of the 13th century. We're going to do so with a huge party and quite a character. Perhaps the last pope to try and assert the supremacy of the papacy over all of Christendom. Now, we don't usually focus that much on the figure of a pope. I usually leave that to the ladies over at Pontifax podcast. This pope, however, had his fingers in so many pies in Italy and in Europe that he is perfect to allow us to look over the situation in most of Italy. Benedetto Caetani was born in 1235 in the town of Anagni, about a day's walk southeast of Rome. His was a noble family, whose insignia, a golden shield with two waves, you can see in some of the many images of the Pope. He had risen to a position of prominence in the church, thanks also to important diplomatic missions, such as to England and France. He was a deeply cultured scholar of canon law, and that will show up as we unravel his story. We have seen that in 1294, a man named Pietro da Morrone, who really, really didn't want the job after some duress was elected pope with the name of Celestine V. He spent his whole six months on the job looking for a way out. He needed the law to help him get out, and who do you think was there ready to lend a helping hand? Of course, our friend, by now a cardinal, Benedetto Caetani. It seems that he not only gave him the legal basis, but also the conviction to go ahead. Legend would have it that Celestine had a dream in which an angel told him he should give up the papacy and head back to his monastery. Indro Montanelli, in his book on Boniface VIII, said that the voice was actually that of Cardinal Caetani, using a hole in the wall and an elaborate sort of phone mechanism. This, whether true or not, does give us an indication of Boniface's flair for the dramatic and a certain creativity. Soon enough, Celestine V was out and, after a short conclave, Benedetto Caetani was in with the name of Boniface VIII. It was a pretty strong name, as Pope names go. Indeed, it was Benedict IV who had convinced Emperor Phocas in 609 to convert the Pantheon in Rome into a Christian church. The conclave that elected Boniface had some novelties compared to the more recent ones. First of all, it was held in Naples and not in Rome or around Rome. The king of what would be in time the Kingdom of Naples, 
Charles II would have liked to keep the papacy there under his control. The other novelty is the duration. It was very short. This probably had something to do with the application of the Ubi Periculum Bull, which set out a reduction, day by day, of food and drink for the cardinals, to the point in which they would be reduced to bread and water. As soon as he gained the papal throne, he started to show his mettle. First of all, he totally ignored the wishes of Charles II and moved the papacy back to Rome. Then, he revoked many of the concessions and decisions made by his predecessor. One trait that all sources concur on with regard to this pope is that he had a very strong character. Many also add the adjective arrogant and some also vain. Other sources then launch a whole series of accusations, which we'll see in a bit. In any case, his character and actions would bring him to clash with many, many people and organisations, something which would cause him quite a few headaches along the line, and actually start outright violent fighting, the total destruction of a city, and, in clashing with Dante Alighieri, earn him a place in hell in the Divine Comedy. But one thing at a time. First of all, there he was, back in Rome. Until then, the popes had lived in the Lateran Palace and would not move into the Vatican until the return of the papacy from Avignon in 1377. Now Boniface had a bit of an issue, i.e. another living pope. Pietro da Morrone, the ex-Celestine V, who couldn't wait to get back to his peaceful hermitage. Unfortunately for him, he was a potential rallying point for those who had opposed the election of Boniface and saw it as illegitimate, especially the French cardinals. So, poor Pietro ended up his days as a prisoner of the new pope. Some accuse Boniface VIII of having done the dirty deed. But others point to the fact that he seemed sincerely sorry at the death of the old Pope and mourned publicly for him. That, of course, could have just been a front and perfectly in line with his flair for the dramatic. In any case, there doesn't seem to be evidence of foul play involved. This could be considered the first of Boniface's clashes, although in this particular case there was not much of an opposition. That is how we're going to have a look at this Pope, analysing the various clashes he had. Another potential flashpoint was that he had inherited the whole mess of the Sicilian question that had started with the Sicilian Vespers in 1282. It was this Pope who brokered the famous peace of Anagni in 1295. We have seen that the idea was for James II of Aragon to turn Sicily over to the Pope, who would then pass it on to Charles II of Anjou as his vassal. We also saw that things didn't go according to plan. The Sicilians were having none of it, and they elected James's younger brother Frederick as their king. After some fighting back and forth, 
the Pope was forced to accept the status quo and crown Frederick as king. The whole issue was finally sorted out in the Peace of Caldabellotta in 1302. It was in the intervening period that Boniface also assigned Corsica and Sardinia to the Aragonese, as things with France, as we will see, became increasingly complicated. The Sicilians and their new king had some fans in the College of Cardinals. In particular, two big hitters from the Colonna family, a family which was traditionally enemies of the Pope's Caetani family. The two Colonna in question were Giacomo and his nephew Pietro, both cardinals. They, of course, were not at all happy about having him as Pope, and they were very suspicious of the way it had come about. We can consider them part of the opposition to the Pope, an opposition which in time would also include the Franciscans, represented in particular by one Jacopone da Todi. However, the clashes that Boniface had were not only with regard to the Sicilian question and within the church organisation. He was a strong believer in the supremacy of the papacy not only over spiritual matters, but also over all the rulers of Christendom. From his point of view, the power of the rulers derived from God, and as God's representative on earth, the Pope was also above these rulers. As a consequence, the opposite was also true, i.e. the secular rulers should not interfere in matters of the church and should most definitely not levy taxes from the church. This was something the rulers had been doing hands down, thanks in particular to more recent weak or even absent popes. So, out comes Boniface with the Clericis Laicos Bull, prohibiting the collection of taxes from the church and monasteries. This collection had been going on quite freely in France and in England, for example. When the bull came out, Edward I of England consented quite readily, although he surely wasn't pleased about it. Neither was the King of France, at the time Philip IV, known as Philip the Fair, so he must have been quite a handsome chap. He had been on the throne for about ten years. The King knew that he couldn't outright oppose the bull, which would have meant potential excommunication. So, he came out with a really crafty solution. He said, OK, I'll not levy taxes from the clergy but I will pass a law that says no one can export money out of my country. What did that mean? It meant that any money also collected by the church and religious orders in France, perhaps the richest country in Europe at the time, could not be taken to Rome. Boniface knew that he had been stumped, so he went into negotiations. The end result was quite creative, showing the cleverness of both men involved. The idea was that the king could not collect taxes from the religious organisations, but said organisations could offer the monarch 
voluntary donations. Before this solution was reached, however, Philip received a cry for help from the Colonna faction. You see, things back in Rome had gotten quite nasty. Boniface's abrupt manners and commanding character were making him no new friends, but the worst aspect was his attempt to accumulate the power of the church all into his own hands, which did not leave the cardinals at all pleased. By May of 1297, the Colonna felt strong enough to take a dramatic step. With the Manifesto di Lunghezza, they declared that the abdication of Celestine V had been illegal, and consequently so had the election of Boniface, and he was to be considered deposed. The Pope did not just sit back and take it. The two Colonna cardinals were deposed, and then, for good measure, excommunicated. The political confrontation soon led to outright war, and it is at this point that the Colonna asked King Philip of France for help. However, at the time, he was embroiled on the delicate negotiation with the Pope over the tax issue we mentioned, and he didn't want to rock the boat too much yet. After all, there was money at stake here. So the Colonna were on their own, and they were doomed. In the next episode, we'll see just how doomed they really were, and then Boniface will take us finally into the 14th century with the first ever Jubilee. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon supporters. We've now reached 65. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In particular, I would like to give a shout-out to the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Anthony G, Selene, Chanel, David L, Dean V, Eric W, Gordon Z, Greg, Ignacio, Jeffrey W, Old John in Milwaukee, Kevin, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Neville, Patrizia Kappa, Peter W, Renee B, Roberta D, Rodney N, the Question Master, Rudy F, Scott L, Shelby and Stephen, and the tippy-top super-level Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri, Sen, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, and Maxime. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Remember, if you want, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com and at the same URL, you can click through to our social media. We are on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. You can also just send a message to say hello, share an experience, or say whatever you want to say. You will also find timelines, maps, and other sources to help navigate our country's complicated history, as well as a support page where you can become a patron and access extra content or support via PayPal. I thank you very much for your generosity if you do. In general, thanks very much to everyone for listening, and until next time, arrivederci.
Celestine, Celestine. What? Who is it? Where are you? I am an angel, Celestine, sent from God himself. Really? You, you sound a lot like Cardinal Caetani. No, no, that's just coincidence, because we angels can speak with the voices of good men. Isn't that a bit of a low voice for an angel? Oh, for heaven's sake, is this okay? Uh, yes, I suppose. Tell me, sweet angel, what is the bidding of my lord now? The lord feels you can best serve him by giving up the papacy. Really? Oh, God be praised, but... But all of the cardinals said it was God's will that I become Pope. Well, they were wrong. Really? All those men of God? Wrong? Ah, well, they misunderstood. They're not exactly spring chickens now, are they? Oh, I, I suppose. Still, all those learned men? Well, God said they may have taken his... Words out of context. What he meant to say was, Celestine should be Pope unless someone else wants to. Like Cardinal Caetani, for example. But then there must have been some disturbance in the communication. It's still the 13th century after all. Yeah, yes, yes, qu quite, quite. Um, so... Now, will the Lord speak to all the cardinals and, and say that I can stop being Pope? My son, the Lord does not interfere so in our affairs of men. He works in mysterious ways. Uh, yes, tell me about it. Now, you must seek help from Bishop Caetani. He can help you. He's very clever and so cute, too. Cute? Ah, yes, in a platonic way, of course. Oh, very well. Um, so, um, I must trust Caetani, eh? Yes, yes. And maybe while you're at it, suggest he become the next Pope. Ah, uh, okay. And maybe offer him your breakfast rations. Breakfast rations? Uh, right. Then I can go home? Ah, yes, well. Back to the peace of my hermitage? Yes, mm, sure, sure, why not? You can go somewhere. What? Nothing, nothing, my son. Sleep now. Uh, am I not sleeping already? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, keep sleeping. Ah, good night, sweet angel. Good night. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy.
With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.